Hello everyone and welcome to Toronto Rock Total Access. I am Mike Hancock riding sans Colin Doyle as he is still sorting things out on his end, but we'll get him connected and uh, and get him back on some future episodes coming up in the not too distant future, or at least we hope so, but uh, glad to be bringing you another podcast. It's been a little while and uh, we know a lot of people have been wanting to hear from the players and have us get going again with these podcasts, so here we are. Uh, of course, last week on Wednesday, April the 8th, the NLL announced that the league would cancel the remainder of the regular season. League officials are looking at any number of scenarios to return to play when all stakeholders and health officials deem that possible. There is no timeline on when decisions will be made. The league suspended regular season play, of course, as you'll remember, back on March the 12th due to COVID-19. So there's a lot of stuff up in the air, obviously, at this point. But the one thing that is for sure is that the 2019 2020 regular season has come to an end now of course there are a number of scenarios timelines everything up in the air but as commissioner nick sakevich has said the league still does want to crown a champion this year and the league is exploring and exhausting every option to do so of course when it is absolutely safe for all involved to do so so to start off the podcast here today we're going to uh, just take a quick run back through the regular season and just where everything ended up statistically and uh, where the standings finished, leaders, all that kind of stuff. Then we'll jump into our interview with Dangerous Dan Dawson. We hadn't had him on the podcast uh, yet this season, but we decided to uh, hook up with him online here over Zoom and uh, had a great interview. It's a lengthy chat with Dan, but uh, we go over a lot of stuff, cover a lot of ground, so it's worth a listen. So, uh, stay with us for that, but uh, first up, we just want to run down how the regular season finished up for everybody, where the Rocks sit right now, as uh, it could pertain to the playoffs, depending on what format ends up being uh, used, I guess you could say, to crown a champion this year. So as far as the regular season goes, the Rock finished at 7-4, second in the North Division, behind the Halifax Thunderbirds, who were 8-4. and four. The Rock and the Buffalo Bandits end up with the same record, same winning percentage, 636. The Thunderbirds, 667. You can do the math pretty easily on that one. When it comes to the head-to-head tiebreaker between the Rock and the Bandits, the Rock outscored the Bandits by two goals in their head-to-head meetings. The Rock, 13-9 winners. The Bandits, 10-8 winners. So there you go. That's the plus two that gives the Rock the tiebreaker there. So... As far as anybody around here can see it anyways, the Rock should be the number four seed for the playoffs, second in the North under the full season playoff format that we would have played under, or if you're looking at an overall seeding system, also with the fourth best win percentage. So anyway, slice it, the Rock should be the number four seed for any kind of playoffs that uh, play out. Uh, the three division winners all ended the regular season with better records than the Rock. New England at eight and three, Saskatchewan at seven and three, Halifax at eight and four, but everyone... Of course, uh, with different number of games played there uh, among the division leaders and uh, really almost throughout the league. Lots of uh, different things sorted themselves out there. So as we look at individually, the Toronto Rock, Rob Hellier finished with 32 goals, 24 assists and 56 points. Those were team bests across the board. So he finished as the leader in goals, assists and points. Overall, Hellier finished second in the league with 32 goals, just 
one behind Callum Crawford, who had 33. So let's get the MVP conversation going here. You look at the Toronto bias side of it. Well, Hellier definitely put the team on his back on a few occasions. He really had no choice at times with all the injuries that the team faced this year. Um, when you switch to the league bias side, I guess, from the outside, um, Callum Crawford led the league in goals, points, and had 20 more points than Hellier. And New England finished with the league's best record at 8-3. and three. So... Uh, of course, our vote here unanimously goes to Rob Hellier, I think. Uh, these are two guys who I think are right at the top of the MVP conversation. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I think there's some good arguments for many other players, but I, I really do strongly feel that these are the two guys that are kind of at the top of the heap here right now as we try to sort things out in uh, what ends up being a very uh, different end to the NL regular season, obviously. As we look at the defensive side of the ball, loose ball leader Brad Cree. 91 loose balls, two more than Billy Holstrauser. 25 caused turnovers, though, is the big number that jumps out. 11 more than Billy Holstrauser was second best on the team. Uh, overall, Brad Cree finished 13th in the league in loose balls and second in caused turnovers, just two behind Ryan Dilks of Saskatchewan. And let's face it, this guy's a beast out there. There's few guys that leave as much on the floor as Brad Cree. Bumps, bruises, welts. He's got it all pretty well at the end of every game. And uh, even if you look back at the top 10 list that we put out, which I highly advise having a look at that piece of content that uh, we put out on social and on our website earlier this week, uh, there's a clip during uh, one of the uh, highlight packs with Rosie in there um, where Rosie has kind of stepped out to challenge the shooter and Brad, Brad Creed just kind of fully puts his body on the line, standing in the net to take away any kind of backdoor option and pretty much... Uh, play goaltender behind Rosie, essentially, if that ball gets by Rosie or if there's, a, uh, again, like I say, kind of a quick stick backdoor attempt, Brad was ready to make the save. And uh, he's the type of guy that, like I said, just lays it out on the line every game. And, you know, while some people probably won't have him at the top of their ballots, uh, I think that he will definitely be a top three guy. And I can't see really any situation that unfolds here where, Brad Creed doesn't at least get a nomination here for the league's top defender. As far as the goaltender goes, uh, Nick Rose finishes with a 9-4-4 goals against average and an 8-16 save percentage, good for 6th and 3rd in the league, respectively. Both his goals against average and save percentage were career bests for Rosie. And we're going to toss out, of course, his first couple of seasons in the league in Boston where he played a total of about 80, 82 minutes over two seasons. And while overall did have better numbers in those two years, but the sample size is just too small there. So we're, we're throwing those out the window. Uh, just, uh, again, like I said, too small of a sample size, too few minutes played. So really what we saw this year was, was pretty well the best we've seen from Rosie. The numbers uh, don't lie. And I think you look back at uh, a stretch during the season there where he went six games in a row allowing – Less than 10 goals, and he did that really while he absolutely had to with so many injuries on the Rock offense. Uh, most nights through that stretch, he had to keep teams under 10 goals against uh, to give the Rock a chance to win, and he did just that. Now, under most scenarios, you would think, even though Rosie's stats weren't right at the top of the league, they were near that, the team was winning, and you factor some other things in with all the injuries and what Rosie had to do on a lot of nights to, like we say, give the rock a chance to win 
you would think that he would be right at the top in terms of the goaltender of the year conversation, which I think he will still be near the top. But when you shift over and look at New England and the year that Doug Jamison has put together, the best goals against average in the league, the best save percentage in the league, and his team at 8-3, and three, also the best record in the league, it may be tough for uh, those who cast the ballots to not put Doug Jamison at the top of their ballot. But you never know how things all sort out here. But again, I think Nick Rose, he's going to find himself again as a finalist for the goaltender of the year. I don't think there's too much doubt about that, that he is in the mix there right at the top. But a lot of guys had great seasons this year. A lot of guys finished with goals against averages under 10 against on the season, which is uh, pretty amazing. So there's a quick recap of kind of where everything sat at the end of the regular season, both from the team aspect and also uh, individually throughout the league and uh, who were the team leaders and whatnot. So uh, we do also want to mention here, and by we, I mean me, that uh, if you do have any questions for us going forward over the coming weeks, and again, like I said, hopefully we'll have Colin Doyle back uh, in the hot seat with us, but uh, you can send your questions. You can just email them into us. We've set up a new email address for uh, listeners to contact us. Simply send your questions to totalaccess at torontorock.com and we will try to get to some of those in the coming weeks. So again, totalaccess at torontorock.com. You can send your questions to us and we will try to get to them. So uh, without any further ado, let's shift over to our interview. Dan Dawson, great interview with him. Uh, Of course, we're all working remotely, so we took advantage of uh, using Zoom to record the interview. And that's kind of how we'll be going forward with most of the interviews for the foreseeable future. Uh, A little bit different because usually when Colin and I are co-hosting the podcast, we're always interviewing everybody in person. So, uh, of course, everybody's jumping on the Zoom bandwagon and... uh, so did we. So it was really great to still be able to see somebody face to face and and do the interviews. So uh, it's a great chat with Dan. Like I said earlier, it's uh, an extended chat, a little bit longer than what we usually do with most of the guys um, when we have them on the program. So uh, sit back and relax, and uh, we'll get caught up with the man they call dangerous, Dan Dawson, up next here on Toronto Rock Total Action. Welcome back to Toronto Rock Total Access. Mike Hancock now joined by Dan Dawson. And Dan, uh, this is the first time I've had you on the podcast. Wish it was under some uh, different circumstances, but uh, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Doing good. I mean, everyone always asks how we're doing. We're actually a ton of good family time, not going to lie. Like, um, so a lot of backyard lacrosse, basement mini sticks, and that side of it's been fun. Um, minus the circumstances of why we're doing it. Um, besides that, uh, busy at work and then, uh, not gonna lie, missing lacrosse too. Now talking a little bit about work, uh, for those who don't know, you're a firefighter by day, obviously, uh, probably goes without saying that your, your day-to-day routine at work has probably changed quite a bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, how work life has changed for you? Yeah. Work life is, is definitely different right now. I mean, um, we're living through something that has never been, you know, done before. And so we're, our protocol is changing daily, hourly. And so we're doing the best we can to, uh, make sure that the frontline staff is staying safe in the firehouse and, and doing our part with social distancing. And, um, you know, at the same time, I mean, 
our job is to serve the general public and we take a lot of pride in that. So we want to make sure that uh, we do our part by staying safe, but at the same time, making sure that we, we help out those people that are in need during these crazy times. So let's shift uh, to talk a little bit about the uh, situation we're in in the lacrosse world itself. And last week, the announcement coming down that the league had decided to cancel the rest of the regular season. Uh, just your reaction on uh, when you heard that announcement, or was it something you thought was, kind of inevitable that something like this was going to happen as time kept ticking by? Well, it really fast forward to when our game was canceled, uh, you know, heading into after the Calgary game, we had a short work week, you know, heading back into that Friday night game and we were really looking forward to the back end of the schedule. And all of a sudden I, I think that's when everything hit, you know, we had that bye week and then all of a sudden that Friday night, it was just like, that's when the world kind of changed for us here in Canada and, you know, when we go into work and you start seeing things maybe a little bit sooner than the general public and some of the, you know, the parameters that we're trying to follow, you think, wow, this, this, is, uh, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, obviously very disappointed, um, you know, but it was the right decision. I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, there's more important things right now than lacrosse and um, I'm definitely missing it. But, uh, you know, we all have to shift and making sure that everyone stays safe right now. So you've had a, a pretty incredible season. Some big milestones knocked off here uh, in your first season with the Toronto Rock. But uh, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about how last summer unfolded for you. Since, again, we haven't had you on the podcast yet this year. Uh, yeah. Why Toronto? Why now? So uh, if you backtrack to the year in San Diego, I couldn't be more thankful to Steve, Patty, Billy, and Josh for giving me that opportunity. And Joe, um, great Great team atmosphere, playing with my brother, playing for my brother-in-law, who was the coach, and Patty and Josh, who were ex-teammates of mine, now they're coaching me. That was that was great. Um, the travel and the distance was something that uh, I wasn't willing to do again. And uh, there was really only one team that I wanted to play for, and that was the Toronto Rock. I mean, this is the final stop in my career. And um, I called Jamie, and I, I said, you know, you know, make sure, like uh, – you know, after free agency opened up that, you know, you're the only conversation I want to have. And I was very thankful that a bunch of teams reached out to me and Tony. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I respectfully decline. Um, my heart's in Toronto. Uh, the track's 10 minutes from my house. Um, my boys can enjoy this time. And, you know, that sort of shifts in your career, right? Uh, I got a family. So I really enjoy the time at the track, messing around with the kids. And uh, that's why I wanted to play in Toronto. And I love the roster they had. I mean, they had a great season, you know, beating Georgia in the first round. And they ran into a tough Buffalo team to make it to the NLL final versus Calgary. So I thought with young captain like John Rogers, you know, Tommy Schreiber, uh, healthy Robbie Hellier, Nikki every year getting better and better in net. And the decor that they had, I thought, you know, I don't want to just play my last two seasons. I really want to take a shot at it. And to say I can do that in my hometown would, would be the perfect end to my, uh, my career. So that's why I chose Toronto. And you talked uh, a little bit about the young rock leadership there with Challen Rogers. Um, you know, I, I noticed from the moment that you showed up at the track, just uh, some of the younger guys, the impression that you made on them uh, right away. Uh, you know, you've always been known as a tremendous leader throughout your career, but, who taught you to be a leader? Who are the guys that you drew from uh, that have kind of molded or shaped your leadership style? That's a great question. I thought 
you know, as a junior rate call up in the man cup, 2002, uh, you looked at guys like Mike Hazen, Dan Teat, um, Josh Sanderson, Colin Doyle, um, out West, I thought Andy Turner, uh, and, you know, Arizona is probably my biggest influence is Peter Locke. Um, you know, I consider Peter one of the greatest captains in the game that no one really heard of. Um, he was always putting himself, you know, behind what everyone else needed, never wanted the limelight. Um, he had a young, crazy group of guys in Arizona that he always made sure were, were somewhat times towing the line. But, um, when it came to playing and working out and doing the right thing, he was making sure we did that. And then obviously learn under T, uh, you know, Troy, I mean, the list goes on and on Bob Hanley, Bob McMahon. Uh, you think about all those guys that, you know, everyone has their own little unique style. And I didn't want to kind of follow someone to a T. I think I try to take certain traits from every single captain I ever played for and, and try to make it my own. And if it's real and authentic and um, people will gravitate to you, but if it's forced, I've realized, you know, in the past, some captains that, you know, do as I say, not as I do that doesn't work at the professional level. So, you know, I, I try to mold myself in that sense. You mentioned Arizona there. You've played in some uh, non-traditional markets, uh, some markets that didn't end up uh, making a go of things, Portland, Arizona, Columbus. Uh, of those places that you played that things didn't work, is there any one of those markets that you think uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of popped off and, and stuck around? Oh, man. I mean, my heart's always going to be in Arizona. Uh, you know, we started that franchise. Uh, we went to the cup two out of three years and my, you know, two of the last three years we were there. We thought we had a real good core and where the arena was built. It was tough. It's trying to tell people it's like building the ACC out in, you know, Mississauga or Burlington. It just didn't really work. And you can see the struggles that the Coyotes are having with their ownership and the new arena trying to be in Scottsdale. But lacrosse really popped off out in Arizona, and I thought maybe if it was built on the other side of the city, it really, uh, it really could take off. Because box lacrosse back then, I mean, it was more of like a WWE style. Like the Americans that were traditionalists really didn't think the box game was even a form of lacrosse. It was just a bunch of knuckleheads that were fighting and. And now it's like the Americans have realized like, wow, the repetition, the rep count, the tight spaces, the ball not going out of bounds, like that's how they are going to get better. And it's scary to think, I, you know, eventually the Americans are going to be neck and neck with the Iroquois in Canada for the indoor championships. What's the craziest thing that happened in those early days to you? Maybe on the floor, off the floor, just playing in those markets that were non-traditional and, and teams that were just getting off the ground uh maybe not a horror story necessarily but just something crazy that you remember that you just kind of can't believe you went through oh man um the, you know on the floor it was funny i mean you put 10 people in the stands like there was no really horror stories on the floor um i mean there was times where we played in new york and at the time we had the same ownership in columbus in new york so it's seven o'clock game time and we're playing New York. We're in Columbus and Gene Nash, Gavin Prout are on a delayed flight to play for New York. So they're the two studs on that team. Gene Nash, yep. best goalie at the time, Gavin Prout, number one overall pick. Awesome. So the owner at the time would come into our dressing room and be like, Hey guys, listen, you're, you're my favorite team. Like you're, you're my guys, you're Columbus, <laughs> you're my team. You're, you're the, the no name guys. Like, listen, but, 
we got to start the game a little bit late. Gavin <laughs> are on their way to the game. We got to start late, right? Then he would go back in the New York room. Don't know what was said. Um, but this game starting 30 minutes after. So, of course, like we're getting revved up at our owner, not with our owner, at our owner saying like this guy, he's starting the game late to bring in the ringers. We're going to teach him a lesson, boys. Like, so that was kind of one of the weird yeah. things that have happened uh, on the floor. Um, and then off the floor, wow, you put me on the spot here. Um, I, I always tell the stories about how I was selling tickets for uh, 750 cold calling <laughs> in the office <laughs> in Arizona. We would call guys and uh, it would be literally a sheet of paper with 50 names on it. And they would be like, well, what's lacrosse? Yeah. Like, let alone like what's the Arizona thing? So that, that was tough, but it was, it was really, it was awesome to learn the business side of the sport and get appreciation for the front end office people that are, trying to sell our sport like we just play the sport but um to realize what it takes to sell it off the floor and remind people to get back in the seats that that, that was kind of cool i can only imagine what some of those phone calls must have been like i'm sure there was more than just you making those calls you guys must have been messing around a little bit uh back in those days on the phone with people and with each oh, yeah. other yeah. yeah like there there was a cubicle there was like six of us it was like me troy bonaterra mike Miron, casey burns and you'd have this sheet. And if you had a lead, like we never closed the sale. So what we would do is say, hey, Mike Hancock. And he'd say, you know what? I'm interested in four tickets. So you'd be like, you know what, Mike, hold on one second. I'm going to get my senior ticket advisor on the phone here, right? <laughs> or if you had a lead, you'd write the lead. And then so I'd go to the washroom and then have this note that said, I got a lead on Mike Hancock. So <laughs> then Casey would call my line and be like, hey, this is, this is uh, Mike Hancock. Danny just spoke with my wife. I want to buy those four season tickets. So then I would call Mike back and, and be like, yo, I told you I'm not interested. Don't ever call my line again. So we would crank call each other from the lines thinking that they were good lead, but they weren't. So at the time we were like 22 year old kids, not a smart thing to do, but we were going to sell the tickets anyways. So that's good. That's good. So, uh, you know, we talked, uh, I just mentioned earlier, just the, the milestones that you've hit this year, the 1,400 career points, uh, moving into second all-time in assists, uh, you know, 2024 20, behind uh, John Tavares, 25, to, to become the all-time leader. Uh, when you look back at the end of your junior A career and you're throwing the ball around with uh, the Summerfields, the Mayor Hoffers, and Todd Bloxham, did you ever think uh, 1,400 career points was a possibility in the NLL? No, not a chance. I mean, I didn't even know how to get to the NLL. Um, I knew the NLL just from uh, we do the odd friendship tournament with the uh, Rochester Americans in, you know, full Rangers versus them. And then you, you hear about the guys who go to this uh, Bandits versus uh, Nighthawks game. That was crazy, 18,000 fans. And then fast forward when Toronto got a team, but you didn't know how to get there. You didn't know how to get there really until uh, Eddie Como came and coached me in Brampton and kind of figured, Oh man, there's kind of a somewhat of a path to get there, but I wasn't very good. I was terrible. I was like a <laughs> D training guy. I would, I was very good scorer. And yeah, it's funny to think about um, my junior A career. It's, it's five years of junior A four playoff games. So my summer was done like end of June, July, every year. So I didn't play a lot of lacrosse and I didn't know what championship lacrosse was till I got called up to that man cup year and being surrounded by all those champions. 
that was the most important part of my lacrosse development. So you think, I mean, I know just uh, remembering your stats and looking back at some stuff that it was your last year in junior A that uh, the scoring went way up. I think you're in the top four or five in league scoring that last year, almost won the scoring title. And uh, back in, I guess, Oh two, um, was it being coached by Ed Como, like you said, just that kind of had a real big impact on, you know, your personal, uh, I guess, point totals and whatnot on the floor that you made that big jump in your last year of junior high? Well, I think, so to walk you through that, I got drafted as D guy, sixth round, and then all of a sudden I'm practicing once a week in Whippy. Um, I'm playing 11 out of 16 games at the pro level. So naturally I have my stick in my hands more than any other junior A kid that's not in the NCAA. And then you're starting to play against the best of the best. So then your game is definitely going to, you know, get to another level. Not only that, you're starting to be around guys that are training right, eating right, showing what it takes to be a professional. So now I bring that mindset back to my final year of junior A. And uh, Jeremy Talibi was the coach at the time. And he kind of just gave me like the green light. And the green light, I think, is so important for guys' development. I think I was talking to Robbie about that this year. Like, Robbie's the guy who's got the green light in Toronto. It's just like, here's the keys to the franchise. The ball goes through you. Just go. And that's what uh, Jeremy did for me in my fifth year. And, you know, we had some success uh, individually, but not a ton. We were like the last seed. We played the crazy uh, St. Catharines team that just swept us four with, like, Zenit, Kanopka. Like, they call up all these <laughs> – animals in the back end and we couldn't sure. get, penetrate I, them the middle. i think I they think won so. they won every game in ontario that year i think right they were undefeated in the regular season swept every round in the playoffs but then lost in the minto cup and yeah by like 40 goals yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i started to get a little bit of confidence and then i started you know with anything in life the more confident you get the more you want to do it and you're like okay well what's next like how can i get better and then I got called up to for the play. I got called up actually. I'll never forget the conversation. Terry Sanderson left a voicemail on the home phone because we didn't have cell phones back then. And uh, he said, "Listen, we're short players. Uh, we don't play against Brooklyn." And I was like, "I would drop everything." So I, I, I called work. I said, "I can't make work." I was in the pool all day in the sun. I'm like, "No, I'm going this game." This it was everything to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I show up to Brampton, and I had a really good game. Like, and uh, I thought. I earned Terry's trust. And once you earn Terry's trust, it's like, and you're one of his guys, it's, it's, it's awesome. (laughs) So you know how it is, right? So I like to think I was one of Terry's guys Um, from that game on. I I played tougher than I was at the time. Um, I didn't really fight back then and uh, scored a couple goals in transition, beat up a couple guys, got in guys' faces, just like young punk, right? 20 years old, just want to prove myself. And then um, he's like, you know what? I know St. Catharines wants to trade for you in junior A. Uh, I want you to stay with Brampton first for loyalty. And then when, if you guys get beat out, we're going to call you up for the man cup run. And I was like, yeah, I'm all in. So I told Zenny and Zig and I said, Zenny, you know, I want to stay with Brampton throughout this year. I don't want to get traded. And uh, it was the best decision ever made because now you're surrounded by all those winners that have won man cups before. Um, And then we beat Victoria in seven. And then I realized, holy jumping, like that's the first thing I ever won, right? So I'm like, this is what it takes to win. Like these guys are black and blue, they're sweating. And I'm just like, holy jumping. Okay, I got you. Now I know what it takes to win. And that was the next 
step to my development. It's like, I started to get confident. Now I'm like, okay, that's what it takes to be a champion. And at the age of 21, I didn't even really think about championships, right? It was like this progression. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be second in points or whatever assist. It was like, I'm going to play in the league. Okay, how, how well can I do with my game? And then I'm going to win some championships. And then from that moment on, I just kind of, things started to fall in place. So where did, uh, where did all the routines and habits, and I feel like you might have a superstition or two. When did, all, when did everything like that start? Like, was that something you always had part of your game, like the routines? I, I can just remember even before you came to Toronto, I remember you'd come out uh, before the shoot-arounds for, uh, you know, pregame warm-up, and you'd be visualizing. You could tell you had the earbuds in. You're walking through everything. Like, when did all that stuff kind of start for you? That's a great question. I think uh, routine is, is more important for me than superstitions. I don't have one superstition because in this league, as you know, when we were in Boston, the Bruins were playing game day. We were playing after the Bruins. So if I couldn't get on the floor to do visualization, I couldn't do it. It wouldn't affect the result of how I played. That's, that's the biggest thing. In Arizona one year, I had a little bit of a struggle. The first, I want to say first five, ten games. And we had a loaded back end. And the All-Star game was in Toronto that year. And all my buddies have never seen me really play. It's like, oh, so sick. You know, you're going to be in the All-Star game, right? Mm -hmm. And I have this terrible start. And I don't get called to the All-Star game. And I don't care, right? But all my friends, like, they were thinking, like, you're not an All-Star, right? And I'm like, I'm sorry I can't see you guys. I'm stuck in Arizona, right? <laughs> so the coach is like, don't worry about it. I'm like a young guy. And I'm like, I'm not worried about the All-Star game. I'm just worried I let my friends down that they wanted to see me. And so I started going to sports psychologist and I sat down on the couch, like the movie, right? And he would yeah. just say, let's just, let's just talk here. And he's just like, uh, you're driving by a car accident, right, Danny? And you're, you know, you're looking at the car accident. Well, what do you do when you're driving your car? I'm like, well, if you're looking at it, you're going to start veering towards this car accident. He goes, that's exactly right. If you start thinking negatively, if you start thinking about what ifs, then that's where your mind's going to go. But if you're always thinking positive or forgetting anything that happened up to that point, you're going to go in the direction you want to go. So then he put me on a book called Mind Jam. And then I started really focusing on the mental aspect of the game. And then that's where those routines come in. I just like to get to the rink early, one, because I'm old now. I need to get worked out. <laughs> Two, I like this, like as weird as this is, like the smell of the arena. You know, like they go on the floor and visualize what I'm going to do on the goalie. And then, um, again, though, if the dancers are out there, if there's a youth lacrosse game, that may not be able to happen. But, yeah, I don't really have any uh, superstition. So you, uh, you, you called yourself old, not me. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> so 38 years old, uh, 19 seasons in this one, uh, cut short, uh, the regular season for sure. Anyways, uh, you know, you mentioned two years in Toronto. Is this, uh, is this a lock that you're, uh, that you're going to play next year? Yeah, I, I can say that now. Like, uh, I, I, I we joke all the boys, right? I said, my, my career ended on a Sunday at home versus Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in March, I'm like, I can't go out like that. But, um, you know, I, work, I feel I work out really hard. So um, I also know that injuries can happen. So my mindset right now is that I'm, I'm coming back next year, 100%. I, I felt really good this year. I thought the travel really helped me. My boys are really enjoying this. Um, my wife is 
obviously um, been my best supporter throughout this. She may not know who I'm playing that night or, uh, <laughs> or anything, which I kind of love. Um, but she knows that I really do enjoy this. And now the boys being able to come to the rink with me has really just amped it up that much more that I do want to play more. But more than anything, like once you win once, you want to win again and again and again. And I, I want to make sure that to win in my hometown and to see the smiles and to see those photos, um, imagine my boys being around the cup with me, like that, that's, that's what drives me. So with regards to your kids, just to wrap up, uh, I know they've, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like they love being around the track. The other guys on the team, some of the guys that are there all the time seem to love interacting with them. Uh, almost like they've become uncles to, to these guys, but, uh, have they developed any favorite players on the team? Are there any guys that they seem to like really engage with? Yeah. Well, they always gravitate to Rosie. He's the big yeah. guy. 66. He's our goalie. They love captain Ch- Chatter and Rogers. They call Chatter and <laughs> Chatter Brooks. Brooks, favorite. Uh, Theo loves Robbie Hellyer. Um, cause Theo talks to his friends. He's a bigger boy. So he's the biggest. I said, just cause you're the biggest doesn't mean you're the best buddy. That's yeah. the great thing about life. It's the size of your heart and look at Robbie Hellier. He's our best player. So he loves Robbie Hellier. Um, and then Kai Kai, uh, <laughs> they like baby shark. Manzi. <laughs> so, I think more because Manzi's such a fun loving guy when they're on the yeah. floor with Manzi grabs them and spins them around. So they'll, they'll remember that. And, how cool is it that my boys are, are interacting with Chown Rogers, Zach Manns, you know, Adam J, Bradley Crees, Rosie, like that, you can't put a price tag on that stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully um, the twins won't remember it right now, but Theo's getting to an age where if he looks back on this and say, Hey, you know, I, I remember Chown throwing the ball with me. Like, are you kidding me? That That's the coolest thing in the world. And when he sees those guys on YouTube, um, they're bigger than life. And, and that's the hardest thing with our sport is like, I tell the young guys, you have the ability to make an impact on someone's life and don't measure it by the masses. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you're doing a shooting clinic one-on-one at the track or you're playing in front of 19 five, um, you have an ability to make someone's life, uh, you know, changing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love with my boys. And, and they're starting to really uh, gravitate to lacrosse um, without dad pushing them too much. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this has been great, Dan. Uh, thanks a lot for taking a couple of moments to join us. And uh, I'm sure we'll be doing some more of these as we go and uh, interacting with fans. And want- Oh, I did want to ask you one more time. I know you guys had a little poker game the other night. How did that go? How did that end up? It was, it was fun. Uh, I was out mid midway point. Uh, Slater won it. Slater won it. Uh, um, Rosie was in the finals. Uh, David Brock was right up there. And you, the Flash, of course, was in there. <laughs> the Flash says that uh, he, does, he doesn't gamble. He only wins. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a line. That's a line. That's the Flash for uh... you, right? So, yeah, that, it was really fun. And it was good to see everyone. You know, the chirps were flying. And uh, yeah. that, that's the one thing you do miss is the camaraderie and, um, you know, competing and, and wanting to win it is first and foremost. But, you know, sitting in the dressing room after the game and before the game, that, you know, as you, as you get older, yeah. you, as you start to reflect on those things. And I don't think I ever took it for granted, but I just think it means that much more to me now. 
Well, that's been one of the great things, but all this just still being able to stay connected with people doing something like an online poker tournament yeah. and still having zoom and being able to see everybody's face. And uh, like you say, get a few chirps in while, uh, mm. while you still can. Right. So uh, Dan, thanks a lot for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Great seeing you buddy. All right. That was Dan Dawson of the Toronto rock. We'll take a short break here on Toronto rock total access and wrap it up after this. All right, welcome back to Toronto Rock Total Access. I'm Mike Hancock. Wrapping up the pod here for this week. Real quick wrap. Hoping again we can get Colin Doyle looped uh, back in next week. Have a little story time with Colin. Of course, he's got amazing, amazing stories that uh, he can share with us and uh, just some of the great stuff. A big thanks to the man they call Dangerous, Dan Dawson, for uh, stepping up and uh, jumping on to our... uh, First remote edition of the Toronto Rock Total Access podcast. Fabulous chat with him. Always great catching up. And there's still so much to go through with Dan. Uh, lots of stuff that kind of popped up after the fact when we were done chatting that uh, we'll go through as well. We'll have Dan on the podcast again uh, in the not-too-distant future. So don't you worry about that. So, again, if you do have questions that you want to fire at Dan, you can always send them to us, totalaccess at torontorock.com. And we will do our best to get to as many of your questions as we can and fire them at the guys. Also, if there's a certain guest you want to see, a certain guy you want to um, hear on the podcast, for sure, send that in as well. Or any topics that you want uh, Colin and I to uh, discuss, debate, or otherwise, uh, feel free to send those in as well. Again, total access at torontorock.com. Fire those in. So uh, just to wrap up quickly, you know, we always talk a little uh, Toronto Rock tickets whenever we wrap up the podcast. And this uh, remote edition, first remote edition of the show, uh, is no different. If you do have any questions about Rock tickets that were unused from the regular season, so I'm talking single game buyers, season members, six flex, four game packs, groups, everyone. If you had any tickets for any regular season games that were canceled, your answers await. So those questions you may have at torontorock.com. There's an in-depth FAQ section on the site. And if you can't get your answer from there, then you can email tickets at torontorock.com and one of our ticket reps will be happy to get back to you and, uh, and answer any further questions you have that weren't answered for you in the FAQ section of our website. You can get to it from pretty where anywhere ticket related on the website. So um, you shouldn't have any problem finding it at torontorock.com. Also, uh, as a reminder, anything that needs to be proce- processed with a ticket purchase you made through the Rock office will be put in motion once the Rock ticket office reopens. So Ticketmaster purchases either have been or are in the process of being refunded depending on when you're listening to this. So uh, that's all taken care of. Also, don't forget, if you're a Toronto Rock season member, you can jump online and opt in to renew your seats for next season and roll over those unused tickets from 1920 towards your 2021 season membership. So it's super easy and our reps will take care of sorting everything out once the ticket office reopens, but you can start the process right now by going to torontorock.com slash season membership. So again, you can roll over that unused portion uh, of your 1920 season membership into essentially a down payment for next year's tickets and, uh, You'll be all ready to go. It's pretty seamless, and we'll be ready to rock and roll for a big season 
of Toronto Rock Lacrosse in 2020, 2021. It's going to be a lot of 20s <laughs> going forward now that we're into, uh, I guess, a new decade, so to speak. So, uh, again, thanks uh, to everybody for listening to the podcast. And if you do have any questions, comments, guest asks, anything like that, uh, please feel free. Send us an email, totalaccess at torontorock.com. So, uh, also, I want to have one more plug for the top 10 that uh, we put out earlier this week on social media and on our website. One of the best pieces of content that uh, I think uh, for the lacrosse fan and people are looking for a real good summary of all the highs uh, throughout this 2019-2020 regular season for the Toronto Rock. Uh, Lots of great stuff in there. Lots of great memories to look back on what was uh, a great regular season. Of course, we're still all hopeful that there will be uh, some kind of playoffs here and uh, hopefully at the end of the day the Rock are sitting on top of the mountain for an NLL record seventh time but still lots to do before then lots of decisions to be made and lots of things to sort themselves out in the world that are uh, obviously beyond everybody's control as we uh, navigate the unknown here together So that's it. We're done. Uh, Thanks to Dangerous Dan Dawson once again. And in the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Toronto Rock Total Access is over and done with. Stay home and stay safe, everybody. We'll chat next week.